Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet. The first reading is St Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. And reading from Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord, may your word live in us. And bear much fruit to your glory. Thank you, Margie. Our prayer for others this morning is going to be by Jane. Let us pray. May it be your words we hear, and may it be your voice that speaks, O Holy Spirit. May you take what is said and make it into a message that is relevant for each one of us, that each one of us finds uh, something challenging and something that grows us and something that builds us up and something that leads us closer to you. Speak, Lord, we pray, for your children are listening. Amen. I don't know how many of you are on Facebook. When I started this, uh, preparing the sermon, this was the best illustration I thought of, and I, I thought, I hope that if you're not on Facebook, you at least know what Facebook is and a little bit about how it works. If you've never heard of Facebook before, it is a very popular website which allows you to connect with other people. You do this by creating your own little page, and you can put photos and videos and stories that your friends can look at and see. You can send messages and keep in touch with family and friends and colleagues. 
and it's quite fun. It's particularly useful for someone like me who has family far away and everyone is kind of kept on the same page. But Facebook also has a lot of downsides to it. Firstly, the people that you've spent the last 20 years trying to avoid can find you and ask to be your friend. And then it's difficult to say, you're an idiot. I've been avoiding you for 20 years. I don't want to be your friend. So that's one of the... The other thing, it can chew up hours of time. But the worst part about it for me, and I don't know if it's just because I'm a minister, but I get the most ridiculous religious opinions that get sent to me. I saw one that had a picture of Jesus on the cross. And it said underneath this, it said, If you love Jesus and are thankful what he, for what he did, like this picture. But if you are unmoved, then just ignore it and keep scrolling. I mean, oh, seriously? You know, I don't know what that person's understanding of God is like, but I really don't think that Jesus is sitting in heaven on his computer going, oh, big trouble here. Stuart didn't like my picture. I'm going to make a note of that. I don't even think Jesus is on Facebook. You can't send him a message. I, um, I got one the other day, which really uh, sparked this particular thought in my mind. It was a picture, uh, a still photo, maybe you got the same one, of the floods in Townsville and a few other, you know, where, where people had really um, had been suffering terribly. And uh, underneath it, the picture was just this line. It said, one like equals ten prayers. Oh, you know, if you want to see these people helped, you have to like this picture. As if God is sitting in heaven saying, ah, oh, can't wait to help these people, but you know, they haven't got enough likes yet. I can't do anything. My hands are tied. You know, we can't heal anybody. We can't help anybody because, well, you know, it's not enough posts on Facebook, really. Imagine God doing that. It's very scriptural. You'll find it in the book of nonsense, chapter 3, verse 7. Cross-referenced in absolute rubbish, 5, verse 6. There are, there's some really dodgy stuff out there. The best response to that picture, I just had a look at a couple of comments, and one person said this. God is not a fairy godmother, and that's not how prayer works. And I thought, that, that was worth liking. God is not a fairy godmother, and that is not how prayer works. And that's true. Prayer doesn't work like that. But how does it work? What is it for you and for me as we seek to be faithful to God heading into this year? As you know, we're in the second week of our service, uh, sermon series on preparing for covenant and explaining a little bit about what it means when we commit ourselves to God. What are we saying that we're going to do? How are we saying we're going to act? Last week we looked at the topic of worship and spoke a little bit about how even when we might be tempted to, uh, to skip church and skip worship, this is part of what we are committing to. Worship is about, is about connection with God. It's not just about whether we show up on a Sunday morning. Today we look at prayer. 
And like I said last week, we do so at the beginning of the, of the year. This covenant happens at the beginning of the year because it's such an opportune time to say, Lord, this year I'm going to be faithful to you. I want to grow in my faithfulness. I want to become closer to you by the end of this year than I was at the beginning. And as we make that commitment, one of the things we're committing to is to be people who pray. People who pray. So what is prayer? Well, friends, firstly, prayer is about intimacy and connection. It is about intimacy and connection. Not magic, intimacy, connection. The primary function of prayer isn't to make God jump through hoops and it isn't for us to get stuff from God. The primary function of prayer is to draw us closer to God, to enable us to communicate with Him, to enable us to grow in our relationship with Him towards a greater and greater sense of closeness. Prayer is something that is often misunderstood, like the Facebook situation is one particular case, but, but very often, if we look at how prayers are offered, it, it can so easily become just a list of our needs or a list of our wants. And we can all fall into that trap. I know that I certainly have fallen into that trap before, and maybe you have too. Because our lives are so focused on our own situations. Our lives are so focused on our own problems and, and issues that we have to deal with, and they are real issues. That without even thinking, we can sometimes slip into a sense of, of our prayers all being about God helping us through those issues. God getting us through those things that we want to get through, or, or even God giving us the things we want. I know that we do often pray for others and their needs as well, absolutely. But prayer is still a lot of asking God for the stuff we need to get done. And I'm not saying that we can't do that. That we can't ask God for the things we need. God never says that He doesn't want us to make our requests known to Him. I just don't think that that's the primary purpose of prayer. In the scripture we read uh, that uh, uh, Margie read for us in Matthew, the whole point is the way we ask God for the things that we need. And Jesus is saying, that's fine that you're asking, but God isn't unaware of your needs. Seek first His kingdom. Let your life and your prayers be focused on God's will because prayer is about connecting with Him. Prayer is about relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about journeying together through life with someone who knows us and loves us and understands us and cares for us and wants to guide us. That's what prayer is. It is relationship. It's the way we build that relationship with God, which is why Paul says in his letter, pray continuously. Pray continuously. I think I've shared with you before, uh, many years ago I actually stopped saying amen after my personal prayers because it kind of led me to a situation of thinking, well, okay, prayer time is over now. But it's not. I want to live my whole day in communication with God because that's what prayer is. If we think of prayer as we would a normal conversation in a relationship that we have with a, with a spouse or a loved one or a friend, then the nature of prayer begins to make sense and take shape. In our communication with our loved ones, if the only communication they ever, you, you ever did was to get stuff from them, that relationship would be in trouble. I tried to imagine what that would be like in a marriage, and I thought, 
I wonder, uh, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and uh, I'm going to say to Debbie this, I'm going to sell her just all the stuff I need to get done. So I thought, well, this is what I'm going to do. This is about Thursday. I thought, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to say, honey, please will you do the cooking and the washing and the car needs a service and uh, don't forget that I need some things sorted out from yesterday. Please also take care of the shopping, fetch the kids, go to the parent-teacher meeting and while I think of it, there's also a doctor's appointment to make, a birthday card to send and um, can you make sure that you make the bed and get the breakfast ready as well, please. Thanks, honey. You're the best. I forgot to mention, I also need to get this stuff done as quickly as possible, please. And I uh, appreciate all you do. You're great. That's what I'm going to do. I didn't have the guts to pull it off. I didn't have the guts. <laughs> I can't do it. But can you, can you imagine the absurdity of it? Can you imagine if we did have to do that? I can tell you where that relationship will go. Why? Because the communication has nothing to do with connection and intimacy. Very little to do with relationship and everything to do with what one person wants, with what one person perceives that they need and how they, uh, how they can get the other one to do that. The central significance of prayer is not in the things that happen as a result of prayer, but the central significance of prayer is the deepening intimacy the unhurried communication with God. Seek first his kingdom, says Jesus. And all the other things, they'll come. They'll fall into place. But first take care of this connection. Take care of the relationship. Seek the kingdom of God. I always find it so interesting that when Jesus asks his disciples to go into the world and do all of these magnificent things and they'll be preaching and they'll be teaching, they'll be de really delivering God. I mean, Christ left his whole mission in the hands of 11 people as he ascended into heaven. Have you ever noticed he never taught them how to preach? He never sat with them and said, all right, guys, this is how you do it. You need a good introduction, a good conclusion, a good three points in the middle. He never does it. But he does say, guys, this is how you pray. Let me teach you how to pray. This is how you connect with God. He taught them to pray, to have communion, to have, to have that intimacy and to, and to live in relationship with God. I once heard a story. I, I forget which of the great preachers of yesteryear it was. But uh, one, of the, one of the big names, the Sangsters or, or whatever, I can't remember which one. But when he died, they decided they would like to uh, get hold of his sermon notes and put them together in a book and make a lovely thing for everybody to be able to read. All his great sermons. When they went through his stuff, they found that actually his sermon notes were so shoddy and badly written and there was hardly anything in them. They looked at it and thought, how, how on earth is he a good preacher at all? And then they found his journal and his prayers. Beautiful prayers, written out, carefully crafted, prayers of intimacy and connection. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who's an anti-apartheid activist in South Africa, uh, some years ago, he was suffering uh, from prostate cancer and he thought he was going to die. There was a very real chance that he was going to die. And so he granted what he thought might be the last interview he would ever give 
He was in hospital at the time. The interviewer thought, I wonder what the bishop wants to talk about. He went into the interview thinking maybe he's going to talk about the amazing transformation in politics or, or uh, the leading role he played in the anti-apartheid fight. Or maybe he's going to talk about the future of the country or the, the church's role in the, in the continuing struggle or the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I wonder what he's going to talk about. He got into the interview and it was none of those things. Bishop Tutu started the interview with this. He said, if this is going to be my last interview, we're not talking about politics. Let us talk about prayer, about faith, hope, and forgiveness. For these are the things that life is about. But number one was prayer. Let us talk about prayer. I read this beautiful story of a, a daughter who had asked the local minister to come and pray with her father. And uh, when the minister arrived, she said, oh, he's in the bedroom lying on the bed, busy dying. And um, the minister walked in and he found the man lying propped up uh, with two pillows on the bed. And just in front of him was an empty chair next to the bed. And the priest assumed that the man had been informed about his visit. And he said, oh, I guess you've been expecting me. And he kind of pulled the chair out to sit down. The man said, no, who are you? <laughs> he said, well, I'm the minister. Your daughter phoned me. When I saw the empty chair, I thought you knew that I was coming. The man said, oh, yes, the chair, the chair. Sit down, it's fine. He said, um, actually, before you sit, would you close the door? I said, sure. We closed the door, came and sat down, a little bit puzzled. The man talked in a bit of a softer tone so he could make sure his daughter didn't hear. He said, Reverend, I've never told anybody this, not even my daughter. But all my life, I have never known how to pray. At church, I used to hear the minister talk about prayer. It's always right over my head. It made no sense. I could never do it. Eventually, I abandoned all attempted prayer until one day about four years ago, my best friend said to me, Joe, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. He said, here's what I suggest. Sit down on a chair, place an empty chair in front of you, and in faith, see Jesus on the chair. He said, it's not spooky or weird because Jesus promised I will be with you always. And then just speak to him and listen in the same way you're speaking and listening to me now. The old man kind of looked up from his thoughts and said to the minister, he said, so, so Reverend, I tried it. And do you know what? I liked it so much that I've done it every single day, sometimes for a couple of hours. But, he said to the minister, he said, I'm very careful though. If my daughter came in and saw me talking to an empty chair, she would either have a nervous breakdown or she would think that I had started with dementia. And the minister smiled and was was deeply touched by the story and encouraged the old man to continue and on his journey and he had a prayer with him and he returned to the church. Two nights later, the daughter called and said to the minister, Reverend, my, my dad has passed away this afternoon. The minister said to him, sorry, did he, did he seem to be at peace? Was he peaceful? 
And the daughter said, yes, Reverend. In fact, when I left the house around two o'clock, he called me over to his bedside. He told me one of his silly jokes and kissed me on the cheek. And when I got back from the store an hour later, I found him gone. But there was something strange. In fact, beyond strange. It was kind of weird the way I found him. It looks as though just before Dad died, he leaned over and rested his head on an empty chair beside his bed. He had an amazing picture of intimacy and closeness, resting his head on the lap of Jesus next to his bed. What a beautiful scene it paints in my mind of that close relationship with God. Prayer is intimacy and closeness. But prayer also seeks God's will. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. In the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples and that we say every week, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is in the seeking of God's will that our lives actually find their meaning, that we find our purpose and our hope. Why? Because that's the purpose we were made for. We were created for a reason. God desires to be in this relationship with us. He desires to use us for His glory and for the building of His kingdom. And when we live our lives according to the will of God, it makes sense that that is the very best life that we could live. It's the best way we could, we could uh, go through our days. It's the way that will bring the most joy and satisfaction and happiness. Augustine wrote a quote that I had to read several times to actually understand it. He said, it's a prayer, grant that I might do your will as if it were my own will, so that you will do my will because it is your will. <laughs> I'll say it again. Grant that I might do your will as if it were my own will, so that you will do my will because it is your will. It's interesting to note that it's in this context of seeking God's will that he then promises to take care of all of our needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. He doesn't say that we can't ask him for what we need. He doesn't say that we can't share our desires and our longings and our worries and our concerns. God knows all of these things and will meet them as we seek his will. To be sure, it's not some condition that by seeking his will, nothing bad will ever happen or God will grant us whatever, whatever we ask for or heal every person that we pray for. I don't even need to tell you that. You have enough experience in this life to know that over and over. But he's talking about our need for companionship, for comfort, for strength, for healing. He's talking about hope, about the knowledge that God is with us through all of these things. He's saying that when you pass these, through these ordeals, when you face the tumultuousness of what life will throw at you, I will be there because we are intimately connected. I will strengthen you. I will meet your need for guidance. I will make sure you're not alone. Seek my will. Draw close to me. Let your prayers be about intimacy. Let your prayers be about connection and conversation and relationship, about seeking my will and all your needs will be met. Let me end with a story. Tony Campolo was once a, a guest speaker at a mission rally. And uh, they called him up and they said, uh, 
Dr. Campolo, please, we need your prayers. You must pray for us. Pray for this gathering. And he said, what should I pray for? He said, well, Dr. Campolo, we urgently need $5,000 for a medical center that's being run in whatever country it was. This is your prayer. And Tony looked around at the crowd and he knew that what they were wanting to pray for was not in God's will. Was it in God's will to support the medical center? Of course it was. But God's will was not to pray that that support would come from some other source. So Tony felt very strongly that God's will was for the lives of the people in that meeting. And he refused to pray. He said, I will not pray for this. And the audience was shocked. What, what, is this, what does he mean? These were people who were materially prosperous. So Tony looked and he said, I will not pray for this until every person in this room has given all the money that they have on them in their wallets in this single moment. He adds a little aside and he says, I only had about 30 bucks on me, so I felt quite safe. He said, but, <laughs> but uh, they laughed. They thought he was telling a joke until he took that 30 bucks out and he put it down and he emptied his wallet and he said, there it is. That is all my money. Now the rest of you do the same before I will pray for the support of this medical team. After some hesitation, the people started following suit. And the prayer of request that they had asked him to pray actually became a prayer of thanksgiving because by the end of everybody emptying their wallets, they had over $8,000, which is way more than they ever needed in the first place. The funny thing is, though, says Tony as he tells the story, he says, nobody went home angry. Nobody was mad with me. Nobody was furious that I had suggested they give their money because everybody knew that God's will for their lives had been done in that hour. They needed to have that exercise in giving far more than the medical center needed to receive. And in seeking God's will, the needs were met and His purposes were carried out in their lives. Friends, prayer is a marvelous thing. It is a wonderful gift that allows us to be connected to God, to have by our side a constant companion who loves and understands us, who knows our joys, our fears, our insecurities, our worries, our happiness. The world would have us believe that prayer is about what we can get, what we can try and make God do, how we can get Him to do what we want. But as we enter this year and as we pray the prayer of this covenant, as we say that our lives will be all about God, may we commit to making sure our prayers are all about relationship, about connection, about intimacy, about time together, about seeking God's will for our lives. That's the instruction of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Amen. How beautiful, Lord, to know the privilege of talking to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Where we come before you and, and you say to us, my child, call me Father, call me Abba. The closeness that you desire is demonstrated in Scripture. We see it in Jesus. 
We see it in the revelation of who you are. And it is a closeness that we deep down desire with all our hearts. And Lord, for many in this congregation, prayer is something that has been part of life for many, many years. And I pray that for each of us, you will grow us in the beauty of that, that relationship, in the intimacy and in the connection, in the wonder of doing your will. May we see prayer as something that, that connects us to this life-giving relationship with you and draws us closer in. In the name of Jesus, amen.